Here today, gone. Today? The pace of change can be confusing. Then again, it can be inspiring. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you build the self-confidence and decision-making skills it takes to thrive on change. Fight change with change. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. Um, we are recording this on Sunday night, 24 hours to digest the implosion at the Bernabeu uh, and, and go through it and make sense of it. Joining me is Managing Madrid author, uh, our, one of our brilliant feature writers, Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, always a pleasure. And um, I, I, mean, I don't know. I know, I know we're, we're limited on time. We have like 3 million questions to go through. A lot of you ask questions on Facebook and Twitter. And if we don't read your question out loud, don't take it personally. It's because 3 million other people ask the same question as you. And it's either should Zidane get sacked, who we should sign, what are the solutions? Uh, sprinkled in all this is a bunch of patron questions and uh, and some some other random stuff that we want to go through. So, off the bat, Matt, where were you? What were you doing? What was your reaction to Fornells' goal yesterday? So I was actually I'm down in Charleston this weekend. Uh, my family was down there, and I was watching the game and. I was just absolutely gutted when that goal went in. Uh, and, you know, after the match, I saw kind of a lot of fans' reactions, and I saw that a lot of people were saying, like, oh, again, we played terrible, we played this, and the team's just all over the place. And, yes, I can understand that because it's the immediate reaction, but when you when you go back and look at the game, I watched the first half again, and we really we were all over Villarreal in parts of that game. And like Zidane has said, we can't complete a strong 90 minutes, but I've actually been fortunate enough to uh, be coached under Bob, Brad- Bob Bradley um, a little bit when I was during my playing days. And he said something really interesting that always stuck with me. You don't, off- you don't always need to play well for 90 minutes. Games happen in spurts and you can play well for the first 30 and then you're off for the next 15 and then the next 10 you play really well and it's you have to capitalize on those moments when you are playing well and take advantage of that. And when you're in a rut like we are now and you don't capitalize on those chances, your confidence just plummets. And, I mean, we're seeing it time and time again with our team. And if we had just put one of those chances away in the first half, I'm telling you, we, that game would have been finished. I know it. I mean, that's generally true of like almost any, everything you do in life. Just be good most of the time and you'll be fine. Um, the thing with, with this one is that, <clears throat> you know, like after the, the Celtic game, Marcelo came out and said, like, you know, we don't really know what else to do. We just got to keep showing up and playing and hopefully the results will come. And, and Gabe and I were dissecting that quote and we took exception with it, mostly because we were like, no, you don't got to show up and keep doing what you're doing. There's a lot of things you have to do differently, actually. And um, and some of the comments after this post game, you know, Kroos put out a tweet um and and kind of just generally the reaction to this game probably wouldn't have been as bad if we didn't have a bunch of bad results leading up to it. Because as you said, the performance was actually not bad, um, which is kind of like an indicator of the sad state that we're in because our measuring stick right now is it wasn't bad. 
Um, it wasn't like otherworldly. It wasn't like super dominant. We had the same reaction to the first half in the Classico. You know, I thought we were we were good. We were, we weren't bad. We weren't great. We were good. And then the second half, we were just completely terrible. I thought, <laughs> you know, the 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 thing with what you just said, the Bradley quote. The problem with with Real Madrid's, you know, if, you know, being good most of the time in this particular game, if they were if they were the better team for at least one half, they just weren't able to capitalize on it. So then, when the time time came, um, they, it just screwed them over. So, I think it was it was interesting that this game came. It was the first game after that closed doors meeting, and I thought, you know, the only reaction to a closed door meeting, like you see this in the NBA, a closed door meetings, and the team comes out and the team is like completely recharged, they're doing better, and I, I actually saw signs of that. Isco was pressing really hard. The midfield trio was was working really hard. The team was pressing better. The team was defending better. They weren't as gung ho. You know, the wing backs had good coverage, and even they they themselves were very pragmatic at how they ventured forward. And then all of that didn't come, uh, didn't materialize in the goal. And then all of that kind of just unfolded because you kind of have to throw that out the window, and and play for and try to get a goal. And all that unfolds. And then the you know, this is a team that's already mentally frail. And going into the second half with the pressure building, you haven't scored yet. It's it's going to take its toll. Like it just does. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, unless you have anything, you know, we can talk about the game um, before we, you know, jump into questions. But I, I'm kind of curious also to to get your point of view on an analytical point of view or the tactical scheme and and how it un- unfolded. Do you have any other things you want to share? Yeah. So I think, I mean, and then I know we have a question on this later, so I don't want to get into it too much. But I think it's interesting that. Zidane is still kind of implementing. I don't think it was as much of a diamond, at least in the first half. I think you saw Ronaldo and Bale kind of stay more towards the wings and Isco pushed higher almost as a false nine striker. And uh, at least when we were pressing, that was the case. And that worked for the most part. But then there's you have instances, and I saw this in the first half, where Casemiro is actually the focal point, the highest, per, highest member of the attack. And in my mind, I just go crazy when I see that. It's it's ridiculous. And that's – we never truly have a pure striker kind of occupying the two center backs. And that's one of my biggest frustrations. And then as the game goes on and we kind of go gung-ho, Zidane is – I feel like we need something fresh. Like you, even if you're not going to bring something fresh into the starting 11, then the substitutions maybe – Bring something fresh. It's always Isco coming off. It's always uh, tends to be if Benzema's on Benzema. If it's not Benzema, it's Bale. And it's always the same guys. And maybe throw something out, something different, something fresh, just to make guys say, okay, all right, we're doing something different here. Um, one of the recurring questions, like just generally, is how come this diamond isn't as good as the diamond of last season? And um, I wrote a bit about this in my column, and I wrote about Tony Croson because someone had asked in the mailbag, "Can you can you talk about Croson and his defensive uh, weaknesses and and all that?" And one of the things I'd noted is like with this recurring question. One of the biggest differences <clears throat> is that entire scheme, generally any scheme in football, is insanely reliant on your midfield, right? Like the core, the nucleus, the engine, 
And for Real Madrid, it's Modric, Kroos, and Casemiro in this particular scheme, and then also obviously Isco. To me, the main differences was, you know, that point you just mentioned about Casemiro, venturing forward. Last season, him, Modric, and Kroos were very much in sync about who covers who and who goes forward and who doesn't and who stays back and who goes forward. That hasn't happened this season. So, you know, you saw it against Celta. When Casemiro bombed forward, Modric and Kroos were already in really high positions. And Marcelo was not even in the picture. And so there was no communication, none of that. Uh, and none of those were generally problems last season. But it is interesting because I actually, because I was, I was kind of digging deeper into this. And I went to my previous columns and things I had written. And I actually noted a bunch of things in the diamond that actually, even though we blitzed through the, that Champions League run with the diamond, I noted a bunch of things were like, oh, you know, we got away with this one thing where Kroos is higher up the pitch or Modric is almost playing like a right winger. You know, giving his life to to help the right back, Casemiro bombing for you know there was kind of there was some caveats, um, and we blitzed through and and kind of that it got just kind of got thrown under the rug because we were winning. Um, the other thing, Matt, I noted was that Isco's role last season, which was much more organized, and I, I think I think one of the main problems is you know with the wing backs going up as much as they do, which they didn't that much against VRL until they actually really, really had to and they and they got caught for it at the end. Um, last season, the the way that Isco, Mars, uh, Modric, Casemiro, Kroos, and go down the list, Kovacic, the way these guys shifted behind and linked up with the fullbacks and covered for them was really good generally. Um, and this season, it just hasn't existed. So for whatever reason, we don't know the reason why it it it's happening this way. It's unfolding this way. But those are things we see, and we're just I I don't understand why all of a sudden that switch has been flipped. I don't know if it's motivation. You know, we'll probably talk more about it. But um, that's one of the glaring things that I see. Like the main differences between this diamond and, and last year's diamond. Yeah, I mean, I think on top of that. When you look even further, when you look at the opposing teams, and the opposing teams now, it's it's the number one go-to plan. Just sit in a tight, compact block, a block of eight, maybe even a block of nine, and have one guy forward and counter, 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 counter. Hold tight, be solid through the middle, and counter. And what we're finding is that Modric and Cruz are coming deeper, even Isco. And we talked about his role was a little bit more disciplined last year, and these three guys are coming deep to get the ball to try to make something happen. But when that happens, it makes Casemiro kind of, he's, I don't, I don't want to say useless, but in essence he is. And that's why he's pushing forward. And I think it's in these types of games, I mean, I know you've talked about it before. We may, we can, I think we can sacrifice a Casemiro. Yes, he's crucial in stopping counterattacks, but when you have this much control in a game, when you need more creativity and you have guys coming back like a Tony Cruz, let them do that and then push another player forward, someone who actually can play that role. And, like, I mean, I'm not trying to bash Casemiro. It's just that's not his role. I mean, what you just said about the opposition in their game plan is actually very underrated in all this because last season, opponents and opposing coaches and, and scouting teams, they just didn't have enough sample size to scout the diamond. They have a, a lot of it now. And it's it's staggering and a bit surreal how easily they actually have gone and implemented and it's worked. 
and Pablo Machin has talked about it publicly. Um, how, you know, for example, like you you don't need to uh, man mark Ronaldo the way you need to man mark Messi because um, because Real Madrid are less dependent on Ronaldo and on all this, but also just the way they they press them. And then Unzue talking about um, the liabilities of Real Madrid's wing backs and. And the fact that so many people have publicly stated, like, "Oh yeah, we knew that Real Madrid do this," but I, I think I, I think they're even shocked at how easily it's worked for them. But I think for that reason, um, Zidane kind of just needs to throw out something that's not predictable. Like, if, if every opposing coach goes and plays against Real Madrid, they know what's coming. They know it's the diamond. They know the wing back's going to push. They know the coverage is going to be dire. They know that you can't really rely on Isco defensively on every possession because you don't know where he is. The fact that Ronaldo has been suffering playing in transition, all of this. If if, if they know going into every game what they're going to get against Real Madrid, it's going to be easy to play against them. Um, I'm not saying, you know, don't be true to yourself and, and play your game and implement your style of play on the opponents. But I'm saying, you know, what, what if theoretically Zidane just went into an, another game... Um, and let's say it's a big game and he decided to play a counter-attacking scheme, compact, narrow on the wings, uh, and just burst forward. Like, we've seen that work almost every time he's he's tried to do anything like that. So, I, you know, the question is, to me, one of the questions is, is not so much is this player finished, is that player finished, but just do we need something fresh? And just building on that, and I, one last thought before we move to the next question, I think... It's really surprising at how almost stubborn and just forthright Zidane has been with persisting with the, with the diamond and these 11 players because if you remember last year we played Sevilla, I think it was three, almost three matches in a row and Zidane yeah. switched things up yeah. and I think it was the last match and he did a 3-5-2 and he said he, he switched and we lost and he said after the match you have to switch things up because coaches can begin to figure you out and we wanted to do something different and we wanted to keep them guessing and i'm just i'm just shocked that yeah. he no longer i just feel like a lot of the things he did last year trusting in everyone trusting in his squad taking guys off if they weren't performing and tactical switch like we saw a lot of tactical switches last year and yeah we did a lot of different schemes and this year it's just the same thing over and over same substitution same tactics same every and i'm just i'm i don't understand why he's not kind of holding to those core values he always he always had and that first what made him so successful so that's been the biggest surprise for me my only guess with that matt is that he he spent a bunch of time trying to figure out um what his favorite formation was, and he finally found it. He's like, okay, this is the one I'm going to roll with, but who knows? Um, yeah. We have a lot of questions to dive into and, and not much time. So the first question, the first series of questions are from patrons. So for those of you listening to the show and you've listened for a while, you know that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. You can get different rewards based on different pledges, um, and one of your rewards is to get guaranteed answers to your questions. So... This is from our patron, Anton Hackberg. He says, is it too soon to start worrying about not making it to the Champions League next season? So, I mean, from my point of view, after the Barcelona thought, I thought this still didn't even creep into my mind. And it's still hard to even fathom now. But it's it's a possibility. But we still have so much of the season still left to play for. 
I think it's highly, highly unli- unlikely. But, I mean, the elephant in the room is this team has been in a rut for over six months now. And I think all of us thought we would have hit some sort of form or had some encouraging performances to at least build off of lift the team. But it still hasn't happened. So, I mean, that's a major concern. At this moment in time, though, I'd still say there's too much, too much left in the season. I still have faith in these guys. I still have faith in Zidane. Um, I think... I think we'll be just fine in terms of Champions League, making qualifying for the Champions League. Um, I mean, I'd be worried if the team wasn't worried. <laughs> that yeah. They they have to. Surely they they got to sweat it a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I think the answer to the question is yeah. It's it's not too soon to worry because we're tied with Sevilla for fifth. I think uh, if I'm not wrong, last time I checked. Um, yeah. Although they lost today, so I, I I don't know why. You know, I haven't looked at the table up to date, but I'm pretty sure we're tied for. For fifth with Sevilla and uh, just ahead based on either goal difference and we also have that game in hand so yeah I mean it's not too soon to worry but it's it's also um, there's a ton of football left to be played. Essa Hariri asks is it time for Zidane to do some major formation changes that has not been working for a long time now? Every team is able to defend that god mode uh, especially the goalies by overloading the flanks with players and blocking the only channels Real Madrid is using thoughts on this yeah, so it, we, i mean it is true yeah. that people are defending real madrid easier because they they can they just you know albeit with some luck real madrid expected goals this year are, are like th- crazy amount more than you know what they've had i think it's like almost three per game they've their expected goals um they're having a little bit of luck they're having some god more performances from their goalkeepers and um you know ronaldo just hasn't been informed so there is that but at the same time it has been easier to defend them because um, you know we have we've had some injuries. Gareth Bale, who's one of our more efficient players, has been sitting for a while. Even he's missed like really key chances and Benzema's form. So there is that. Um, but what do you think? So I think we we touched on this uh, quite a bit in the earlier part of the podcast. But I think one thing I'd like to add is that I read that Xavi article. You had actually tweeted out that it was a it was a really good article. And I read it and it was yeah. it was it was interesting. Yeah, the interview. Um, and one of the things he said, which I thought was interesting to note, is that Ronaldo really isn't a pure number nine, and I don't think he ever will be because he's always been set up to receive the ball on the flank. He's always had kind of that his body was facing almost side, his back was to the sideline, and he was all the way to the touchline whenever he's used to receiving the ball, and then he just runs at, runs at defenders. And now he's coming to receive the ball in the middle of the field and that's you can be I mean you can have defenders coming from every angle you have to you kind of have to have a really great awareness of as Xavi says of of time and space and that's something Ronaldo it, that's not his natural position that's not where he's comfortable and I think that it's obvious to see and we that it's obvious in his goal scoring numbers this year it's obvious in the teams I mean we don't really play with a pure number 9 and I think that's something like I said earlier, I'm, I get frustrated when I see the two center pack, two center backs not being fully occupied, and even when we're just not—I mean, yes, the opposing teams are kind of a co- compact block in the middle of the field and forcing us out wide. But at the same time, you need to have a, a presence in the middle and someone you can play the ball to that will keep things keep things connected, and then still also be able to go at the defense, turn and dribble at them and put them on their heels. And 
that's just something that I mean I don't think it's necessarily it's just not Ronaldo's game and I don't know that it ever I don't think he'll ever be a pure number nine in my opinion I don't think he'll be a pure number nine I think he has all the tools to be really really good at it like you know in in his peak if he plays up there and um you know, you, you you not as a traditional nine, but you put him as a player who can kind of roam, who can latch onto through balls with his pace, who can, you know, he's he's elite at getting to crosses. In that sense, I think he can play the role if needed, not on a consistent basis, but I think he can play it. He showed us that in the past, but um, it wouldn't be as a traditional number nine for sure. Yeah. yeah, I just don't think it's the long-term solution for this team and attack. I just don't think playing Ronaldo centrally, at least on his own. I know we've been playing with the two, but even with the two, it's it hasn't been... I, I don't think Ronaldo and... When it's Ronaldo and Benzema, I don't think there's enough dynamism in that attack. And then when it's Ronaldo and Bale, I, I like Bale in a central role, but I like him a little bit deeper or on the wing. So I don't, I don't see Bale as a pure number nine either. So if you're going to have Ronaldo as a striker, I think you need a pure number nine guy, but someone with that dynamism yeah I, I mean it's certainly not a long-term plan uh beyond this season um it's probably going to be something we see out of necessity like for with injuries like we saw last year in the calderon um and you know we've seen it definitely this season again it's not a pure number nine the thing is like we've had to be creative with this because the is not a person who's going to start for you every game benzema's been out of form and he's been injured it will be interesting to see what happens when Benzema comes back because we've still yet to see the 4-3-3 with BBC. You know, we haven't seen it since, like, God knows when. I was yeah. watching a clip the other day of, like, peak BBC. I don't know, it was 2000, maybe 14, that run. Um, and, you know, just them flying through opponents was incredible. But it just seems so long ago now. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if that shifts and Zidane tries that again um, just to see if it works. But... um. One thing that we haven't tried yet, which will take a lot of balls to pull off, it'll take a lot of planning, a lot of practice, would be the false nine, the way Lopetegui used it against Italy with Isco and Asensio. Um, yeah. But again, it's it's not something you can you can easily do mid-season. It's something you kind of work on. It's kind of ingrained in your identity. Um, so, I, you and know. That, yeah. That's the other thing we got to remember with this kind of situation. Zidane, when you have a game every three days, you're not – you really – don't have the time to implement kind of new schemes or things like that on the training field because your your main goal is just resting and getting the guys back in as best physical shape as possible for the next game. And it's you ask any manager and they'll tell you when it's a game every three days, you're doing very little training-wise. And it's hard to kind of implement something like that. And yeah. I think that's probably another one of the something that's going against the Don right now. I mean, especially when your margin of error is absolutely zero. Um, yeah. Um, Sayanta Nandi says, I agree Ronaldo is not in form at the moment, but shouldn't people just appreciate what he's done for the past nine years consistently? And most of the trophies Real Madrid have won this decade were based on huge contributions from him. Shouldn't he be given some leniency because for sure he deserves it? Of course he does. You know. Yeah. This is a reality. Yeah, he is the, one of the greatest players of all time. Like top three to five in my book. 
course he of course he deserves it. If anyone deserves it, it's him. But you know, the fact is we're talking about right now in the moment. Sometimes it's easy to get lost and carried away and say this player, that player. It's also easy to get lost in the past too. I think there's gotta be some balance in appreciating both, but Yeah, and I I think there's two when I think about this Ronaldo situation, I kind of, I think there's two interesting things that, because I know we've talked about this a lot of managing managing Madrid, and I want to bring out two kind of points that haven't been talked about, and I 100% agree with you that uh, Ronaldo should be given some leniency, does deserve it, and he is, if not the best one up there, one or two as the best player to ever play for Real Madrid, and so I think one thing we should remember is many fans may not know this but not even Alfredo Di Stefano had um, a good ending to his Real Madrid career he fell out with Santiago Bernabeu and he was kind of pushed out the door he didn't want to be and it was not a nice end there was definitely animosity between him and the club ultimately it was resolved but a lot of people don't know that Alfredo Di Stefano did not leave on good terms and did not retire at Real Madrid um, almost no and then one. The other almost thing, no superstar. Yeah. like go 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 nope. down the line. Raúl, nope. Casillas, nope. Nope. Um, Roberto Carlos, not really. I mean, not yeah. as bad as the others, but he didn't like end his career with Real Madrid. Zidane was the one guy who yeah. had that big tribute in his last game. Like it's so rare. For that reason, I you know, I think it's naive of us to think Ronaldo is going to get this beautiful send off. I, I I just yeah. have a gut feeling it's not going to be like that. And the other thing. So yep, that's the one point I wanted to make. And then the other point I wanted to make is. Remember, Ronaldo is, let's think about the personal aspect. He is a human being, and his home life has dramatically changed in the last six months. Kian, you can attest to this. You have a newborn son at home. He now has three babies in his house. Yeah, but he has a along with his he, has, seven... he has like eight, yeah, eight servants yeah. and like but someone still, bring, that, it, bring a toilet yeah. to him when he wants to use the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. But still, but no, you're he, right. You're right. You know that 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 affects you. Like that changes everything. Normal routine habits and along with that, he's a 33 year old man, soon to be 33 years old, and that take, that takes its toll. And I think that's kind of it's it's there's mental aspects to this too. It's not just all what happens off the field does oftentimes play a role on the field. I will say this, this is going to be one of the most interesting summers in Real Madrid history because it's there are so many roads to go down and choosing the right one is going to be really tricky because you have declining legends um, and the biggest the biggest two you have to deal with are Benzema and Ronaldo, I think. I think yeah. Bale stays as long as he stays healthy and keeps playing the way he is. Um, Ronaldo, right. when I when I said we should part ways with him was it two seasons ago, which was a big mistake on my part because he <laughs> he was a huge reason. But the argument was also because, um, especially at this stage of of his career, he's if he's going to be there, he's going to have to to start. But he's also going to be, you know, the biggest argument f- at the time for me was it's really exciting to have a James and Bale duo with whatever other talented yeah. players we're going to bring in. And we saw what happened to James. And, you know, some of that is on Zidane. A lot of it is on Zidane, actually. But a lot of it is just because of Ronaldo. And I and I wonder what, you know, what is going to happen this summer for that reason because it's 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 such a tricky, tricky line. You want to be respectful of what he's done for the club. You want to have, have it done amicably, which is going to be tough with uh, Jorge Mendes. 
in the picture. Um, just it'll be interesting. Um, Christopher McCormick says, "Is it bad that from the moment the first half ended that I knew we were going to lose late on?" It's I kind mean, of realistic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, we we kind of touched on it earlier. Is if you don't capitalize on those early chances, your confidence just plummets, and it's it, the fans' confidence plummets too. All there's anxious, nervous energy. They can feel it in the stadium, and things just go from bad to worse. Um, the mental side of the game is so underrated. The fact that we we kind of saw it coming after a really good performance in the first half. It's just you know we can talk about like habit and and uh, mental state of the team or just going based on previous results. Those things are real. Um, I don't care how 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 much how intangible they are. They're real because last season we we really felt we would win every game, even if we were down goal in like in the ninety fifth minute. We felt we were going to win, and this season we kind of knew. Like at halftime, we're like you know what. Every minute that passes is going to get more uncomfortable. Every minute that passes, the burn bus is going to get a little more more restless, and that kind of pressure hits the players like it, it cuts right through them. Yeah. Um, Josie De Santos has an unanswerable question. He says, "Why is why was Ceballos not in the squad for this game?" I I mean I I like you like many fans were I just very frustrated with the Ceballos situation. I. I we all saw what this kid's capable of last year in La Liga and previous years, and on top of that, the U twenty one tournament, and it's just he and he has played well. I mean, there's been spurts of him playing really well in the Copa match. I thought he played well against Numancia um, at the Bernabeu last week, and it's it's just he's a spark. He's a guy that can break through these really compact defenses, and it's just frustrating to see he's not given the opportunity. Um. I mean, one answer is basically that Zidane really likes to bring on Lucas Vasquez. Um, yeah. You know, and I really like Lucas Vasquez. I don't, I, it doesn't sit well with me that he gets so much criticism because it's not his fault that he's the one coming on. And look, he works really hard. Apart from that goal that we conceded against Salta, that second goal where he uncharacteristically kind of jogged back and didn't pick up Maxi Gomez, he's been a really good servant of the club, and he tries. I don't know if his presence is the answer consistently because it's very predictable the way he plays. And as creative as he is and as good as he can be on the wing, even at his peak, he plays a certain style. And Danny Ceballos is on form is one of the most unpredictable players in our team. We, we've said this so many times over the summer. I, I just, I'm, I'm sorry to say it again because you've heard it so much. He sees passes no one else in the stadium sees. Um... And he'll make a pass that when a defense is really locked, you want someone like that. And the other thing with Ceballos is he, the guy is just, he just plays with pure hunger. Like he has a chip on his shoulder. I love the way he plays. I love, I would love to just play alongside him. Um, I feel like these are the kind of guy who would just have your back at any given moment. So I, I don't get it personally, Jauzi. Um, I don't think anyone does. There was another question on, on Twitter from a non-patron, uh, I'm just going to read quickly. It's actually from uh, Facebook. Chevelle Charles says, what are your thoughts on the Betis coach saying he wants Ceballos? Should he go on loan in the summer? I don't think he should go on loan in the summer because I think, to me, if, if I'm redoing this entire squad like or this entire lineup from scratch and I'm building like a formation and tactics, 
he is at the very least the twelfth guy off the bench. I think he's that good. I and I and I'm kind of baffled by it. Um, you know, if if it would be cool, like he can't technically go out back out on loan to Betis before the summer. I mean, but that would have been a cool option. Yeah, I think that option probably wouldn't have been his best bet to go now. But like you said, in the summer it's going to be a rebuilding period, and regardless, you don't. You don't want to be exiting this this squad next year if you want to be part of the future because that's when plans are going to be made. That's when you know key cogs are going to new roles are going to be developed. And if he wants to be a part of that stuff, he wants to work his way in. And I don't he can't leaving next year out on loan would not be the answer. Um, one more question. I know you got to run in like two minutes. I may stay on air just to answer a couple more questions after you leave. But this question from Nick DeStefani, another t- another patron, who says, Hey, guys, wow, I think I need to stop expecting that it can't get any worse. Out of all the years I've followed the club, I think this is the most depressed I've been about a single team. Uh, it's between this year and the Rafa half season. My question is simple. Could it be that a significant portion of this season's woes are down to aging and natural decline? Marcelo is 29 and approaching 30. Benzema the same. Ramos is 31. Cristiano 32. Modric 31. I'm just trying to figure this out. Is it possible that just by fucking coincidence that all these players began declining physically all at the same time? I don't know, guys. I feel less. Hala Madrid. It's actually an interesting question. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand for kind of younger fans if this is their, this is kind of the first time they're really. Uh, going through a tough Real Madrid season for a lot for a lot of fans, it's we've gone through this before. We know this feeling, and it's 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 kind of uh, scary to be going through it again because you don't want you don't want this to be a consistent theme like it was uh, during the early 2000s. But I, I I just I my only thing is are these guys all declining at the same time? I really. I don't think so. Just because six months ago we saw what they did. Six, not. I mean, Less we know these guys. Ago, are, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I just, I think we've kind of ran through all these issues time and time again. I think it's just one piling on top of the other. And yes, maybe um, physical decline comes into it, but I think more. It's more mental decline. And I think one thing I'm going to write in my uh, next feature on this coming week is. One interesting difference between something Guardiola does and Zidane does, and you notice it at his time in Barcelona. He always brought in every summer. You'd think the team's complete, like you wouldn't touch it, but he always brought in another piece of the puzzle, an an absolute monster player to compete with the next player. Uh, I think it was... He had Samuel Eto'o, and then he took Eto'o out and put Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and then Zlatan Ibrahimovic was taken out and put Davavia in. And then... There's multiple examples, and I, I'll go further detail in uh, in my feature. But I think that's something. I mean, we all we all kind of recognize that already. But I think in their summer recruitment, we kind of trusted too much that hey, we got these 11 guys, 12, 13 guys that they're our go-to guys. We can trust them. We don't need anything more. When I think, I mean, co- competition is cru- you got to freshen the squad up even after a season like we had. It's 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 important, and if you're not going to trust these young guys, then you got to bring in players 25, 26 in their peak who are really going to test for starting berths. Because if we're, I mean, 
I think we all thought as fans that, hey, Teo's coming in, Marco Llorente's coming in, Danny Ceballos, we got big-time young players coming in, Asensio's coming along, they're all going to challenge, but Zidane doesn't seem to trust these guys. If you're not going to trust them, then you got to bring in some big-time players who are going to shake up the squad and provide real competition. Um, do you got to go? Yeah, yeah, I got to go. I appreciate okay. you go. having me on. I appreciate yep. you coming on you know, uh, and doing this. Um, but you go. I, I'm going to stick around, and I'll probably share some thoughts. But uh, thank, thanks, buddy. Yep, thanks. Take care. Take care. Okay, this is a quick part two. Uh, big thanks to Matt Wiltsey who came on. Uh, he had to run. I wanted to continue the discussion on my own, just to one continue what the you know this this conversation that Nick started with his question, and also answer a couple more questions before we wrap it up. What Matt said about you know if, for the fans who have been longer around longer, um, kind of have been through worse is, is semi true. We've had some dark days right after Del Bosque left. Capello gave us one good year. We had one good year under Schuster, which was okay domestically. We, I think we won the league. Um, and then it wasn't until Mourinho came where we actually started to do good in the Champions League. And then uh, Ancelotti really put us over the moon. But even during those dark years, dark years, you really have to go back and and try to figure out when it was the last time Real Madrid did this bad domestically. And... If you're looking at position from a positional standpoint, the last time Real Madrid finished outside the top four was 1999-2000. I actually tweeted this. It went semi-viral. A bunch of people started copying it word for word and tweeting it themselves. They have no shame. Give me no credit. Um, Real Madrid historically has never needed to be good domestically to win the Champions League. And... You know, I'm not saying Real Madrid will, will win anything this year, but it is interesting that the last time Real Madrid did this bad in the league was that 99-2000 year, also a year that they won the Champions League. They were terrible, like literally woeful for like 80% of the year, maybe more. And they turned on the switch in the quarterfinals against Bayern, semifinals, or sorry, semi quarterfinals against Man U, semifinals against Bayern, and then beat Valencia in the final 3 nothing, And that was like peak Valencia with Mendieta and co. I'm not saying that that will happen this year, but I'm I'm just just pointing that out. Um, the point that Nick makes about players aging is interesting. Also, if you want to look at history, um, Marcelo twenty nine says approaching thirty. Benzema same. Ramos thirty one. Cristiano thirty two. Modric thirty one. The other thing to note is that not all positions will decline at the same rate. Not all players decline at the same rate. Depends on you know your reliance on technical ability. Um, athleticism, kind of, kind of a hybrid of both, or whatever. Even if you go back to Real Madrid's older, older teams, these, you know, some of the players that declined really didn't even need to get that old. Roberto Carlos was really late twenties when he wasn't himself anymore. Um, Raúl was mid twenties, for God's sake. He was like twenty five, twenty six when he just wasn't the same anymore, um, and that was a steep fall. I mean, go down the list. Zidane, you know, gave us some good years, but towards the end, he was he wasn't nearly the same person who volleyed that goal in in Leverkusen against Leverkusen. So, you know, I think there's something there. Having said that, I agree with Matt. I don't think that these players have declined yet. I think some of them might be closer to declining than others. But again, six months is not that long ago, and I would say that 
I haven't lost faith in these players yet. I, like a lot of the narrative on social media, a lot of it is, you know, this player is finished, that player is finished. I'm not there yet. I don't think any of these players are finished. Um, all of these guys were in Cardiff against Juve when they blitzed them. And again, it wasn't that long ago. I think there are issues of scheme at play. I think there are some motivational issues within themselves. I think maybe, you know, they felt like they were at the pinnacle last season or whatever. It still doesn't hold up for me. It doesn't add up for me because there are a lot of schematic issues here and that, that kind of lies with Zidane. And the other thing, as I said, I'll say is I haven't lost faith in Zidane yet. Um, this is unquestionably the time I've, I've doubted him the most. He he can't be so ingrained in his ideas that he's not open to change or open to trying something new. But I, I think he's earned the right to at least finish the season and, and figure it out. I mean... Go back to like even if you want to go back and kind of compare like, you know, a lot of people want this Zidane to be kind of like the Ferguson of, of the team or the Guardiola of the team. Ferguson went through a lot of dark days. You know, there were days where they they were very close to kicking him out and they didn't. Um, and I'm not saying Zidane would be Ferguson or whatever, but I'm just saying I think he's earned the right to finish the season at least. Um, let him let us hear him out. Let him let us see what he does in the Champions League. Let us see if he makes any adjustments. And um, yeah, but anyways, I, I, I'd be surprised if he gets sacked. I think PSG has a very realistic chance of knocking us out, but I, I, you know, I don't know what position that puts him in. Obviously, it puts him in a very tight spot. <clears throat> Sajid Rayaz says, amid all the calls for Zidane to be sacked, I think that instead Zidane needs help. He, he needs some specialists in his coaching staff. I was actually skeptical of his coaching staff even at the start of his tenure, just like he hired Pintas for the fitness stuff, he should hire specialists to actually coach these players on technique, tactics, etc. Because currently the players are not doing even the basics, right? Passing, crossing, shooting. He needs someone to help him coach the shit out of these out-of-form superstars. Your thoughts? So, the Pintas hire was a good one. Like, we all know what Pintas does. Like, you know, from a fitness standpoint, the grueling fitness sessions, even in the preseason, it's really... You know, the players have been vocal about how difficult it is, but how important it is, you know, and how important it was for their run last season. I would, you know, it is interesting. Like, I, I don't know at this point if Zidane needs more experience. It's true. It's true he doesn't have much experience on the bench. Like, the main guy is David Betoni, who um, is kind of a journeyman as a footballer around France and Italy. And um, he was there last season. And, you know, he's good whatever he does. In terms of, coaching these players on technique and and passing and crossing and shooting i think it'd be naive to think that one the players have lost these fundamentals and need to be coaching them or two that zidane is you know not the ultimate guy in terms of technique and crossing and passing like himself um from a tactical point of view i think he does need some outside help um just someone to be like you know hey try this this isn't working, this worked last season, it's not working, and this is the reason it's not working anymore. I, you know, if if I felt that Zidane knew the answers to that, I feel like we would have seen it by now. So I don't think your idea, Sajid, is, is that crazy, but it is what it is at this point. Uh, Mustafa Simpson says, how many crosses do we put in or try to put in against Villarreal? Pretty sure if we had the number of points we'd that number of points be top be top of the damn table. Um, to answer your question, it's forty four crosses. That's thirteen crosses on top of the season average thirty one at the Bernabeu. So forty four. Um, Marcelo had 
16 of those crosses on his own, which is staggering. Um, Kroos had 9, Carvajal had 7, Isco had 6. So, you know, there was, and that's the other thing, you know, we talked about predictability, and sometimes the crossing has been there, but it's been good and it's been efficient. Other times, and most of the times, it hasn't been, and it's been overkill. It's been predictable, it's been easy to deal with. And I think it was against Sevilla, which was the game where we we had a, a surprisingly low number of crosses. Like it was like, I think, 20 lower than our season average at the Bernabeu, and we blitzed them. So it's not to say one scheme is better than the other. You know, crossing is good, crossing is bad. Every team has their preferred method. Um, you know, Abar, for example, are, are making a living just destroying teams by crossing and playing a traditional 4-4-2 with Ivan Alejo and Inui and and Kike Sergerik. So it works for some teams, doesn't work for others. I think what the the important thing to note here is that one of the questions earlier on was basically, why do teams defend on God mode against us? It's because it's predictable. I mean, you pack the flanks, which Villarreal did well, uh, and they, they basically shift their defense when they need to, either centrally or to the far side, and can deal with all these things. And you talk about predictability, and this is one of the most predictable schemes when it shouldn't be because you have arguably the the deepest and most talented squad on the planet and a bunch of brainiacs who can unlock defenses. And there needs to be some ingenuity kind of folded in. And that's why we, we cry for Ceballos. That's why Isco, you know, for all the criticism he's gotten, has actually uh been pretty good offensively the last couple games and he had a really beautiful pass to Bale against Celta he had some key passes in this one I think he actually led the team in key passes yeah he had five key passes um and you know even Kroos you know has been him defensively in a nutshell has been detrimental to the team mostly to the fault of the scheme not himself again you should go read that column that I wrote on Kroos's defensive habits just a couple days ago but from a pure offensive standpoint, there basically we have stats. Forty-four crosses is a crazy amount, and it's a. And if you're just getting pounded with forty-four crosses a game, you know, from a defensive standpoint, you you know it's coming. You can flood the box, and essentially just sling back on the counter because you know a bunch of players are going to go try to meet those crosses, clear it, and basically slice the team with one pass, which is what happened on uh, on Villarreal's goal, and it's happened countless amount of times this season. So. That's where I'll leave it, guys. Um, thanks for bearing with us and with me blabbering on um, in kind of an unusual pod tonight, but um, we were just trying to get plow through a bunch of notes, so maybe it wasn't as uh, relaxed of a, of a podcast we would have liked it to be, but we were short on time uh, and kind of lacking in resources and stuff tonight. So I'll be back. Uh, Gabe and I, I think, will be back Wednesday for our patrons' midweek pod. Thursday, I'm going to try to squeeze a pod with a special guest to look ahead to Deportivo. Uh, and then also, obviously, we have uh, Leganes coming up in the Copa del Rey. So thank you guys for listening. Um, again, patreon.com slash managingmadrid is where you can go and pledge. And I want to give a quick shout-out to our $10 up patrons who get a shout-out on the podcast. That's one of your rewards if you pledge. So shout out to these $10 patrons. Nick DeStefane, Frederick Sundros, Doug Chisholm, Leon Stavernakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Redbat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Gulet Ishmael, 
Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Ian Marley, Andrew Gomez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Daniel Smith, Solomon Ortiz, and Jeanette. You guys are the real MVPs. Thank you so much for your contributions and your help. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Okay, guys, this is Kian Sabani signing off. And hala madid. If you love football, yelling at television screens with friends, and wearing clothing with someone else's name on it, there's a seat waiting for you at Buffalo Wild Wings, where you can enjoy football food and football beverages on our new $5 game day menu. Cheeseburger and fries, brats, cocktails, and pitchers of beer are just $5 each. Escape to football and the new $5 game day menu at Buffalo Wild Wings. Price and participation vary by location. Not valid with any other offer. Please drink responsibly.